Hashtag never alone with Joe and Mark. Hi everyone and welcome to Hashtag Never Alone episode 19 um, of season two. This is the penultimate episode of season two and we will be finishing up with the last episode on Sunday. Um, I'm your lived experience host Joe Ambridge. And I'm Joe's co-host um, and psychotherapist and relationship counsellor Mark Fielding. Um, and today's topic is medications, um, or more specifically, um, mental health medications. So we'll be discussing different kinds of medications, why people have prescribed them, how they can help you with mental health. Um, I've definitely been on quite a few different medications, such as Tetralin, um, trying to think now, uh, Metazapin. <laughs> um, Mark, can you tell us a little bit about what you know about medications? Um, and then I will introduce our guest. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I'm a psych psychotherapist, so you know, I don't really have much to do with medications. But yeah, I mean, I, I you know, I mean, there are there are many, many different different medications for mental health. You know, covering all sorts of mental health conditions. You know, sometimes you know, lots of medications can be taken for kind of different aspects of the mental health conditions. Um, yeah, people have different ideas around medication. I mean, some people you know really dislike the idea of it being medicated, and, and other people are really helped by taking medication. I mean, there are lots and lots of different views about it. So, yeah, so I'm, I'm just keen to really hear more from more from Jay really at this point. Yeah, um, and on that note, we will introduce our guest. Uh, we are joined by Jay Ibrahim. Um, hi, Jay. Thanks for joining us. No, thank you so much, you guys, for having me. It's a pleasure. Awesome. So just give us a little um, insight into your background in regards to mental health um, and, yeah, and yourself. Yeah, sure. So my background is in forensic psych. I've been, um, I did my undergrad in psychology and um, in pharmacology. So I did a little bit of, um, my, I did a minor in pharmacology, understanding the physiology of, of medications and how it works. And then I did, um, yeah, I, I took on further, I took on a postgraduate uh, diploma in mental health and recovery. And yeah, and then I took it a little bit further. I did a little bit of behavioral therapy, did another master's in uh, rehab counseling, and I'm doing my third master's in applied behavior analysis. So yeah, I've been in this industry now for roughly around 13 years and worked in both disability and in mental health sectors throughout these years. And um, I've seen kind of all, all cohorts of clientele, both in the forensic field, you know, in the community field, as well as the residential and the site wards, and just been exposed to many different uh, medication treatments and psychotherapy treatments and other form of treatments. And, and they all have their own, of course, different combination of success and failures. But I believe there's the, the source of medication and mental health is something that is definitely needed to be discussed. And that's just kind of the realm that I've been tapping into for the past 13 years. So it's been a very um long journey to say the least yeah um one one question i find comes up a lot with medication or one issue i find comes up a lot with medication with some people that might have mental health issues is what happens if i become addictive to the medication or oh medication is addictive i don't want to go on it um, I have a lot, a lot of my friends come up to me and like, oh, I don't want to go into medication because it's addictive. I don't, I will never be able to come off of it, which I'm sure you agree isn't true. It is possible to come off. You do, I've come off of a few different ones and gone into different, different medication. Yeah, that's a great question to be honest, Joe. And um, yeah, to, uh, I guess, to side with you on that, there's, 
to become addictive to it, it's it's it depending on how the usage of it. If we if we if if we start to overdo uh, overuse it and start to using it uh, recreationally and use it for not for what it's supposed to be used for, it does have addictive dependencies. Like you you have your clozapam, for example, and it tends to have a lot of physical dependency because people tend to crave that feeling that they have. However, if they use it in the right moderation to follow the instructions and the guidance from physicians and psychiatrists, it actually doesn't have, it doesn't necessarily have to be that addictive. It doesn't have, and it's been used specifically for what it's meant to do, to be used for. And ideally, whenever you use medications, it's never to be used in its own lonesome. And that's how most of the recommendation that we have is just that it's to use it in conjunction with therapy. By itself, it's not as effective, but using it together, it's highly effective. Uh, they did a research that realized it's eight times more effective to use psychotherapy with medication to actually counteract or combat, mitigate the risk of some of the uh, mental health situations, but also to know how to function with it. And that's ideally what we're trying to do with the medication is help us to function in the daily aspects and, and, and um, you know, eliminate the irritations, eliminate the, the irritability, the erratic behaviors. And that's sometimes it's just, we're not able to really understand it. So if we use the medication with the right counseling, psychotherapy and so on, you shouldn't have an issue whatsoever. It actually, it's, it's way more effective and it's highly beneficial. Yeah, and it's yeah. something that I see. I mean, the two things together, I mean, depending on, you know, what the client presents with, but, you know, I mean, just say, for instance, someone was presenting, I don't know, to psychotherapy with clinical depression. It's quite difficult, I think, to do the work that needs to be done, you know, especially if you're working psychodynamically and, you know, perhaps there's a trauma history, you know, if someone is very, very depressed, you know, I mean, go well, you just wouldn't do it. You just wouldn't do that work because, you know, it's like likely to, you know, to, to trigger them, make them feel worse. But but with the support of the medication, I mean, I guess it, it enables some clients then to do the work necessary on perhaps a trauma history or, or whatever they're presenting with in order to feel better. So I'm, I'm really kind of resonating with what, what you're saying, Jay. I mean, often a combination of the two, I think is most helpful. Agreed. Yes. Yeah. And it, and yeah, the medication helps you to hold you in place. I mean, think of it the way you take, uh, let's just say the way you take Panadol. Panadol, all it does is subsides the headache. But in reality, the headache still exists. Yeah. All it does is just hides the pain. So the headache still exists. What do you need with the, with the Panadol is rest. That's your form of therapy. is mm. all meditative kind of process is rest. When you combine the two, it's the highly most effective. But if you still take, if you take the panadol and continue, then your tolerance level will increase because you're still doing the damage. And this is your body is essentially telling you, this is my way of telling you I need to rest. So I'm going to give it to you in a form of a headache in order for you to just relax and sit in. But if you don't listen, then the headache will increase, which means eventually you start to increase your level of panadols in order to get the same effect. And eventually what happens to you instead of increasing your dosage, instead of just having two that should subside you and satisfy you for the day, you start then adding up, you know, six, eight, and so on. And you realize some people tell you, I, I don't even get, uh, Panadol doesn't do it for me, or Nurofen doesn't do it for me. But in reality, it does. You just haven't used it properly. You haven't rested while you took the medication. And that's exactly what 
it's meant for. So I agree with you 100%, Mark. And, and Joe, I like that question. It's definitely, you need to be able to understand what are you using it for and you have to use it effectively. Yeah. One other thing as well, like I think a lot of people expect medication to work straight away, especially with mental health medication. They expect it to kick in straight away and be like, oh, I'm going to be cured. But obviously that's not the case. Some of them can take like up to six weeks, maybe a few months to um, have like a full effect on yourself. But it, can, it kind of, don't know if the words mediates your, it kind of mediates the like mental health issues. Say like you have anxiety, it kind of helps mediate a little bit. So it's not as bad, but it can, you're still like, you can still have an anxiety attack. It's not going to completely get rid of it. It will take a few months for right. it to kick in. Correct. And I, I, I like the fact that you said that actually, that's a good, that's a good point. There's, um, we had a client that was taking citrulline and another client that was taking uh, diazepam and it took them up to four to six weeks for the effect to actually kick in. So for those four weeks, they were still irritable. They were still on edge. They were still unable to sit still or really function on a daily basis. And they had the, the psychosocial disability really kicked in and they were not able to just perform their daily tasks. And they kept on saying that the medication doesn't work. And, uh, and we would just keep them, just be patient with it because eventually it will, but you have to let your body acclimate to the new changes. You're asking for a new change of, of new chemistry and the, fluid, the fluidity in your brain to actually uh, um, metabolize the medications and allow it to find a course through your body. That takes time, especially if you have good immune system, good, strong, uh, healthy brain and body. It takes for it to while for the body to actually register that there's something new in it. So you have to be patient with the process. And eventually you start to see the physiological changes. You start to see that you have more energy, uh, you take a lot more focus, you're able to function in a daily time, and you're able to actually complete a task without having those negative thoughts process associated with it. Yeah, I mean, just to, you know, enabling people to live a kind of, you know, a, a normal life, really, you know, kind of unhindered by, I mean, I mean, I'm thinking of some of the things that, you know, that maybe people get, you know, need antidepressants for, you know, something that I hear a lot is, I don't know, excessive rumination. I mean, I guess that comes with, you know, with depression often, doesn't it? You know, but I think some people mm -hmm. have very, very busy minds, you know, and I think if they're depressed, the excessive rumination just becomes absolutely overpowering. And, and antidepressants seem to take that away or seem to put some distance between right. the rumination and, the per and their sense of self, if I can put it in that abstract way, really. 100%, 100%. Yeah. And once you, and one of the major things, and um, I'm not sure if you guys are a fan, but Dr. Dr. Jordan P. Peterson talks about it a lot in his uh, podcast. And he says to you that whenever you go through a path, such a, and Dr. Scott Peck, the psych, psychotherapist, they talk about the same concept, but if you're going through a path, let's just say going through depression, it actually takes you through a path and the, and the body is telling you there's something not right with you. We need to address it. We need to talk about it. So when you take the medication, it allows your whole body to stop and able, allows you to look inside of you and understand what is really happening. And with that, all you have to do is literally take the other path. And it allows you to give you perspective, allows you to give you a lot of awareness and a social concept of what's going on for you. And therefore you're able to move to a different direction and create a different lifestyle. So if you have lack of energy, 
what you need essentially is more energy. So when you have anxiety, you're overly stimulated. What you need is a little bit of a relaxer to allow you to see things from a different perspective. And that's essentially what medications are there for. Giving you a different, giving you a fighting chance, so to speak. And then with the right therapy and the counseling and the approaches, you're able to finally take your own journey to the right process. But you need, but that's why it's so effective. But you need just to be patient sometimes. Yeah, I've definitely been on a few different medications that have taken a while to kind of kick into effect. And I've also had it where it stopped working after a while that my body's become so used to being on them that I've had to switch on it over to something else. Like I'm on a new medication now after being on one for quite a few, maybe two years, I think I was on it or three years I was on it. And then now it's probably, I've been on this other one since last year. Um, and definitely feel my mental health is a lot better because <laughs> I talk about it a lot on this podcast. I've been through a lot of trauma and a lot of mental health stuff and medication definitely has helped for me like my anxiety is not as bad as it used to be it's more manageable especially in having therapy side by side with medication I don't see a therapist at the moment because I don't need it as much as I used to um because my it's a, a lot more manageable than it used to be but I've been to see so many different therapists and been on so many different medications but like as as that goes to show like medication one medication doesn't work for everyone. There's different medications that work for different people as well. 100%. Yeah, 100%. yeah uh, there's some people have, it depends on their body and their physiology and how their body metabolizes these medications. Some people don't have, some people take, you know, some people have, um, uh, their the pancreatic is not as strong, their liver is not as strong, their kidney, or they're just not able to metabolize some of the medications, or maybe because they're taking other medications like antifungal medications or any other um, statin medication for your heart and for your cholesterol. When you combine the two together, the side effect might be worse than when the treatment is altogether or the mental health itself. So you're kind of better off without it. And that's fair, but you just, but it's it's one of those things that it's it's one of those things that sometimes you go through a trial and error, but that, but because not everybody's aware of what your body will do and react to it. They give you these, uh, you know, side effects that they make you aware of, but you have to be able to understand what your body's going to go through. So when you mix it, I mean, there's a floxetine, for example, uh, Prozac. If you give it with other um, different medications uh, uh, and it has a, it has a, such a strong effect that actually makes you lose your appetite, which is supposed to increase it. It, it has the reverse effect altogether. Then you have people that have recreational alcohol, recreational drink, drinking, which is fine, but it also exacerbates the medication and it makes it worse. So now your mental health not only skyrockets, but the medication seems to have the reverse effect of what you wanted to do. And that happens, your body just says to you, I'm sorry, I just cannot keep up. I just can't. So... I'm going to implode. And when it implodes, it basically causes its own dysfunctionality. You have headaches, nausea, diarrhea, dry mouth, sorry, increased sweating, all of that in there. And you're thinking, you know, it's not working. Well, really, have you thought about the other combinations? Have you thought about what else your body cannot take? Benzodiazepine has the highest amount of allergies with a lot of the medication that people take. And, and it's used for a lot of uh, antipsychotics or medications. And, Sometimes it has a, the highest amount of allergies. So sometimes you just gotta give it a try. Figure out what's out there, figure out what works just for you and what your body can accommodate. 
And it's so complex for you, though, Jay, as a prescribing practitioner. I mean, goodness me, getting the combination right. I mean, I, I mean, just for someone, you know, presenting with one kind of, you know, with one mental health issue. But I mean, if you've got someone presenting with, you know, kind of comorbidity and different things, I mean, for, it, your job must be really difficult to get it right for them. It must be really complex. Yeah, you have to be able to ask the right questions. You just have to, you have to be able to ask the right questions um, and also understand their lifestyle. Some, uh, we had a client that used to love going out to drinking with their family and going to, um, uh, this is when I was working in Alice Springs, which is a, a huge Aboriginal community. The, um, so they used to go out in, um, in the community and have drinking every Friday. So they realized if they give them clozapam, for example, and that's what he was prescribed, which is for schizophrenia, Every time they give him that, he would collapse. So it's, it, became a, it became a question, is it worth giving it or withholding it for a day and giving it another day? And just kind of giving them uh, almost the, the, the two doses separate times. And it's just these conversations you need to have. But if the client was never honest with you, they could easily be driving and under, um, with, the, with a little bit of alcohol in their body, which is not under, uh, you know, under the legal limits. But they take the medication with them, and then they 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 end up dosing or sleeping or getting dizzy with behind the wheels, and then that's it. And then they blame the medication, they blame the mental health. When in reality, it just wasn't. Nobody asked the right questions. What is really going on for you? What's your lifestyle like? What do you want? And one of the biggest questions is that: What's your expectations of what this medication should do for you? That's mm-hmm. the ultimate question I have. And they say, I want to be able to live like this, this, this. Okay, then I asked, have you had therapy? Are you committed to therapy? Are you willing? What's your, com- what's your commitment limit? What's your understanding? What is your devotion towards it? And if they, it's high and they're willing to give it a try, then we'll, then we'll go for it. But if they don't have these expectations, then I'm, 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 I'm sorry, but, I'm gonna, but you're going to get something that's just going to collide rather than contribute. It's really yeah. interesting. I mean, I mean, some, and this is kind of segueing maybe into some, something slightly different. But I mean, I've, I've been reading kind of a bit of research on placebo, and I guess this is maybe some. I mean, this is obviously the medications do things; otherwise, they you know people wouldn't take them. But I, I, there is there's some evidence that there is also a placebo effect that somebody that starts taking medication and really has belief in the medication and hope that it will help that it does actually have a placebo effect as well often, which is really interesting. 100%, yeah. yeah. I always want to name uh, to remember that doctor's name, but he said it in, a, in an amazing podcast when he said that your body, when it, even in during the placebo, your body will know exactly what it needs to secrete because just having that belief or that understanding that it's going to, that it needs that to survive, that specific cell or that specific enzyme or that specific protein inside your body, it was secreted as if you had the medication inside of you. That's how strong the, uh, the placebo effect in there yeah. is because it allows you to believe. And that comes in with the understanding exactly what your body needs. And that comes from self-awareness. Mm. If you don't know exactly what consists in your body and what your body is going through, if you actually believe medication doesn't work, then your body will reject it automatically, subconsciously. Yeah. I'm sorry, but that's how it's going to yeah. happen. It's just going to push it. It's going to say it doesn't work. And then you're going to say, look, but in reality, if you believe it would work and if you believe it will actually have the right effect, it is twice as high, even as a placebo, 
it will have a positive impact on your body and it will secrete exactly what they uh, what they need to and they did it for cancer cell uh cancer patient i just can't remember the podcast or the research but it was something along the line and i'm paraphrasing here please you guys he said that it was able to release the T cells specifically for that tumor cell in order for it to counter it only as a placebo. Wow. They thought they had the medication, but it was that powerful. That is wow. incredible. Yeah, That's and they counted it and they were living fine. They didn't need the medication, but in reality, their belief that they had the medication was strong enough. And that's your self-awareness. That's your consciously, your subconscious ability to understand that you will get better. You just need to take the, you just need to take the effort and the actions. Two hardest things in the world to do. Yeah, the body and mind really, you know, really want to heal. I mean, that's what the human exactly. organism wants to do, isn't it? Yeah. So I guess is what you're saying. Exactly, hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah, and one one other thing, like I wanted to say, like, oh man, do medication? You have to take medications forever if you want to. Like, or is a mentality thing once you're on the medication and it starts working? You have that mentality to control your mental health, for example, maybe the depression or something like PTSD. Once you have that mentality, can you live without medication? That's a really good question. And to be honest, it's hard to pinpoint exactly. There's a lot of research that tells you you only got better because of the medication, because of the combination of the counseling. So the moment you, you remove one ingredient, one has to override the other. And then that makes it very difficult. So they said you're just maintaining it. Even if you reduce in amount gradually, it's better than stopping altogether. Just see what your body goes through. Sometimes if you're on 25 milligrams, maybe drop it to 20. Test it out for four weeks, six weeks. See how your body reacts. Uh, and, then, and then with the cycle. Therapy, it needs to make you able to not only understand your body and what your physiological body is going through, but make you understand that it was there to hold you still or to anchor you, but it was never meant to direct you to happiness or lifestyle or fulfillment. That is up to you to take that course on your own. So if you believe you are in the right mental state and the right body of mind, as, a, as Mark, you were saying, then all you have to do is just keep sailing. Reduce the amount eventually. See how your body is going through it. Maybe even hold on to it for a, a good six months. See what your body is, and then gradually reduce. If you stop immediately, you will have the reverse effect. And I'm sorry to, to kind of make it seem like it's such a different, but it is, it is true. Research tells us that if you stop, your body will seem there's a lacking aspect. It's like as if it's a clock that aware that every time it rotates, it needs the right mechanism to keep rotating. If you remove that mechanism, the whole clock will not rotate. It will actually stop midway and it breaks. And that's what our body is going through. It's got used to that rotation, the mechanism. That's what the medication came in, help us continue rotating in the same factor. If you remove one, I'm losing. This one has to overcompensate and eventually it will collapse. But if you do it slowly, then it will learn to overcome. It will learn to not compensate, but rather adapt. And when it adapts, it formulates a new habits and a new cells that allows it to, to coincide without it. I mean, it yeah. is a process, you know, I think something that is quite common is, 
you know, people will, you know, perhaps they've got a history of, you know, of depression and perhaps they, you know, they've really kind of, I don't know, they've really avoided taking medication because, I mean, I think there is some still, unfortunately, some stigma, you know, around medication, you know, stigma around mental health. And so they start taking the medication and they feel the best they've felt for years. But, you know, within a month of taking it, their plan is to come off it. And, and this is, I think, because of the stigma, isn't it? You know, people mm-hmm. feel, oh, I'm on a... I'm on a, I'm on an AD, I'm on an antidepressant, I need to come off it. And yet you look at, you know, perhaps the last 10 years of their life and they've struggled with depression and now they're feeling good. And I think this is where the stigma comes into the back door, isn't it? You know, people just feel they kind of self-stigmatize really in the fact they're on, you know, mental health medication. Is that something you see a lot? I mean, mean, how how do you see the stigma? Yeah. Yes, thank you for saying that, Mark. And I think that's such a a powerful message. If If they take nothing from this podcast for me this is the part that i want them to focus on is the stigma we have to be we have to create more awareness we have to normalize medication normalize um, mental health and normalize people going through their own process of self-recovery and self-awareness it just needs to and the stigma is so strong and it's it's actually much more uh, stronger in men than it is with women it's that stoic personality that men needs to be stronger then in reality we have never taken care of our mental health for decades generationally generation since the war since i think the second war men has never taken care of their mental health so we've been passing it on to generation to generation to all our kids and they've been going through something called neurocolonization which is basically it's 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 giving our kids our trauma inheriting them our trauma because we just never understood it or we never were, we're never allowed to talk about it so the moment you take medications it's a sign of weakness and when that weakness comes in you no longer see yourself and a quotation as a man when in reality it actually makes you such a, a courageous individual and you become the role model for the future when you declare when you state when you stand tall and you ask for the right support whatever that may be but you just have to understand because if you don't generationally, you will pass it on to your answer, uh, to your future generational kids or the family. And, and um, who talks about it? Uh, Epictus talks about it in the philosophy, says that we have a generational mind, meaning that our thoughts and instincts and our beliefs is not ours, but rather our ancestors. So if they don't believe it exists, we don't believe it exists. And if we don't believe it exists generationally in the future, they won't believe it exists. So now if we don't, if we don't start today by forming our own beliefs or creating a different stigma, as your Mark said it very eloquently, then our future kids will not be able to understand, especially from a men's perspective. Women have such a good, strong cohort of individuals where they can share. And it's such a profound way of learning, understanding, and, and supporting one another. We need that. Especially, especially men. You want to come in, Joe? Yeah. If you had anything else. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, it, it's so interesting. I mean, we, Joe and I, have talked a lot around. We, we, we cover lots of topics on the show, but men and mental health, you know, and it's so true what you say, Joe. You know, I mean, even though you know, arguably things are improving, you know, with the, with kind of the new mm. generations, there is still this message, isn't there, to men that you know, in order to be, you know, a real man in quotes you know you have to internalize 
be strong, not talk to others, you know, what you were saying about, and it's a, it's a bit of a generalization, but I, I have to say, I do think it is true. You know, generally women, I think have better support networks and they will reach out to those networks when they need support. Whereas men will just tend to internalize and, you know, mm. self-medicate with alcohol. And, and, and I think that is still very prevalent in society, even though perhaps arguably it is breaking down a little bit, you know, and I think mental health medication, as you say, comes into this, you know, I mean, men, just feel, you know, that if they take a mental health medication, somehow they failed, you know, sometimes they're weak there. And of course, those messages really need to come down because, I mean, mental health medication helps a lot of people, doesn't it? 100%. Yeah. 100%. Couldn't agree with you more. Yeah. I mean, you know, arguably, you know, there's lots of reasons for it, you know, I, I guess. Um, I just wanted to, if it's okay, I don't need to just move around. I wanted to ask you around about bipolar. I wanted to ask a bit more about how you medicate conditions where the medication I guess needs to change regularly I mean from what I know about medication around OCD I mean I guess the medication depending on you know not OCD bipolar depending on you know where you know the, where the, the client is the medication will need to go up it needs to go down and I just wonder how, how you manage that how you manage kind of really complex conditions with medication yeah, that's a great, uh, yeah, fantastic question. It's it, uh, it it depends on the medication as well, but it also depends on an individual's growth. So if you, let's just say we're doing the therapy as well as the medication, if the person is growing with the therapy, as in, his prog- as in he or she is progressing, doing well, ticking goals, um, uh, checking the ch- uh, make sure crossing all the checklists, and it's actually in a good milestone for the next step, then you're able to change medication accordingly. Because with bipolar comes the manic episodes or the manic mm. behaviors. With manic episodes, it's basically it's hysteria, it's inability to function, and it's inability to really think straight or rationalize. If you are on that level and I give you too much medication, I will continue, I will um, eventually sedate you to the point that you're not, you're not even, you're a walking zombie. If by under medic, if we if you get under medicated, then you're not you you're still in that manic episode, and you're still switching between two different personalities or two different uh, ideations. It's great, but it's not it's not conducive to your health, mental health, or at least your stability. We can't. So if you're able to tick on the boxes and able to rationalize, then you're able using the CBT or DBT, you're able to actually see things clear, and able to have those inner dialogues whenever things are not going your way whenever you have that manic episode you're able to say to yourself okay what am i going through i need to do mindfulness or breathing i need to kind of rationalize i need to maybe journal some stuff really really conceptualize your current state of mind if you're able to do that and come off the other end comfortably or at least um more uh, amicably or functionally then the medications can be modified to move ahead with and create a better combination you can either reduce the medication or increase it but if you don't have if you're not able to liaise with your psychotherapist or your other treatment world by asking them how is the client moving progressing and actually achieving their goals then if you even if you change your medication by any means you're either over or you're under you have to be able to combine with the right individual to be able to create a balance a sense of balance Think of it as a seesaw. 
one, when one comes up, when the other one comes down, you have to create that sense of balance. Without it, it will create an imbalance in your brain. You got your cotyopenes, your, you know, your seroquels, all of these medications, they follow a certain trait and you increase accordingly or decrease accordingly, but it doesn't happen on its own. It happens with the conjunction that you are moving forward in your, um, your kind of therapy or your journey of progress or health and well-being. Yeah, it's so interesting. And the moving forward, you know, something you said repeatedly, you know, I, I think people, when they think, oh, well, this is another generalization, but people, when they think about medication, don't really look at, look at it in the way that you're describing. I think people have an idea that they take medication and, okay, it'll make them feel slightly better and then they'll take the medication for the rest of their life. And they, they have, but, you know, but this is not what you're saying at all, Jay, is it that it, the idea is on moving forwards, on growth, on healing, on, you know, there is a direction. 100%. You have, I had a client, um, I was working with a client that she was working with a psychologist for 16 years. 16, and I asked her, and I said one thing, have you, have you, are you achieving your goals? And she said to me, yes, I am. And I told her, no, 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 let's just go back to the question. Are you sure you're achieving your goals? And then she's like, yeah, I'm doing, I thought, okay, and explain to me that your lifestyle now, how is it progressing from the moment you started? And she's naming, and I, and, and I asked, where's the growth? Because where you started and where you are now, it's not equivalent to 16 years of therapy. So for that, I can, we cannot talk about changing medication. We cannot talk about changing anything in your life at the moment because you're just not moving forward. You're stagnating because either you're afraid of moving forward, you're terrified of the result, and you're afraid of, or you're afraid of failing. Because you're going through so too much, too many PTSD and trauma, you're afraid of what the next milestone will, will ask of you. And that milestone that you have to go over the horizon is terrifying because you don't know what to expect. And for somebody that cannot rationalize and having, uh, you know, mood disorders or thinking disorders or behaviors, for them to see beyond uncertainty, it's as if walking in darkness, hoping to see a light. Mm. And that's terrifying. So if we don't have the right progress in the process, then no matter what medication I give you, you're still going to remain in darkness looking for the next light, trying to hope that you can find somebody that can reach out to you. And even if a thousand hands comes up trying to reach out, you're never going to be able to see in the darkness because mm -hmm. you're still stuck there. Eventually, you're going to have to move on to the next step. But that only comes with the right determinations, motivation, inspiration, and the need and the will to really want to help yourself. Mm -hmm. Without it, might as well just, just stop. Yeah, well, just stop. I mean it's really inspiring i mean i'm so glad we've had you on jay this is it's yeah. really inspiring that the, the, this view of you know of of growth through medication the medication just been one of the parts you know of you know it's just one part of i mean i talk a lot with my clients around mental health scaffolding and just bringing in you know and it's going to be different for everybody but you know stuff like physical exercise mindfulness you mentioned you know i mean it can be many many things kind of you know being in nature and it's a combination i think of all the things i think it's true for all of us isn't it we, we have to have these things that are bringing good feeling and to support our mental health and people just don't do that do they often so no. yeah 100 percent. Yeah. you mind if i just share this quick story yeah, yeah please do yeah yeah so there was a, a lovely story uh i forgot his uh, he's a monk his name is uh, master shin maybe i'm saying his name wrong but he said that this gentleman wanted to climb the mountain. 
and want to reach the top of the mountain and really reach the highest peak in order for them to see the beauty behind the mountain. You know, see the beauty of nature. Um, as he was walking up this, the mountain, he, uh, there's a lot of climbers that were coming down and they were telling him what is up there. What you're going to see is something beautiful as an, an experience. So what he did as he continued meeting more and more climbers, he realized, I don't need to go to the top anymore because everybody described the feeling to me. But he goes, that's what people mistaken with medication. Because they think because people experienced it, they're going to be able to tell you the story. But in reality, if you don't go to the top of the mountain on your own, you're never going to reach clarity. Clarity is what we need to look for. Clarity is a journey of self-growth and, and development that needs to come from our own self. Without you yourself climbing that highest mountain, you're never going to see that experience. You're never going to get that euphoria, the sense of achievement, the static feeling of climbing something fantastic, and then ultimately the clarity. And that's what these medications help us do. If you can hear a million stories of other people, their experience, it's not going to give you the same clarity because they they're climbing their own mountain. That has nothing to do with you anymore. You have to climb your own, figure out what's on top, and that comes with guidance and support. With the, if you do, with, of course, with the right medication, but these two in essential, if you don't have somebody to fall back onto, who's going to be helping you carry on? Because we all carry a load going up the mountain. Yeah. And only when we get there, unless we get rid of that load, we're still going to be hoarding the burden of the past. So what's the point of climbing? We need clarity. And clarity comes from you have to go through your own experience. Just figure out what's out there. And even if it fails, that's, that's actually you should applaud the failure, applaud it. That's fantastic. You climb something that nobody thought you could. Pat yourself on the back and go to the next mountain. We'll wait for you. You'll get there. Just keep going. Yeah. It's, well, I mean, that's I'm, I'm really really touched. It's, it's beautiful, <laughs> actually. Yeah. Yeah. I love that story. Yeah. yeah. It got, it got yeah. to me when the first time uh, I heard about it. And yeah, it's just so powerful. Yeah, um, if anyone was wanted to get hold of you or contact you, um, how will they, our listeners find you? Oh, sure. Thank you. I've, I've never knew how to answer this question, so it's always very peculiar for me. So I just released my book. Um, you guys see this called Raise the Bar. It's on Amazon. It's about self-awareness, mental health, and really kind of creating a lifestyle for yourself. Um, and also I have my, um, my, my website, J, uh, so jabraham.com. So that's my website. Uh, I'm creating new content. So, that, so bear with me. The website should be ready soon and again with new content. And, and I also work with a lot of uh, lovely organizations here. And uh, um, if anybody emails me at j at j abraham, I'm happy to share with you content, ebooks, learnings, some strategy, and really helping you create your own clarity. Mental health is something we need to talk more about. Medication is a great tool, but it's only one ingredient. There's so much more. Awesome. Um, just before we wrap up, was um, there anything you'd like to add, any pieces of advice you'd like to give to our listeners, like your favorite piece of advice? Oh, yeah, sure. Um, I, I always love this, that um, our sense of happiness, success, glory, well-being, and satisfaction always comes after an episode of fear. So the moment you're afraid of something and the more you're terrified of something, and that means you are on the right track. Confusion, uh, confusion and irritation or frustration comes because you're getting challenged to do something new and uplifting. Keep going. 
once you reach that moment of snap and realizing that you finally learn something, that's when growth, health, well-being really transcends to another level. So don't be afraid of the fear. Don't be afraid of challenges. And especially if you're confused, that means you're on the right track. Just keep going. You'll get there. This reminds me of the saying, success doesn't come without failure. Exactly. Yeah. Mark, did you have anything you'd like to add or any more questions you want to ask? Um, no, I mean, I'm conscious of time. I know we have to finish, but I just wanted to give yeah. the opportunity, Jay, just to talk talk about your book a little bit more because we haven't really given you an opportunity oh, to sure, talk yeah. about that. I've, I mean, I've, I've, to be honest, I find I'm going to be going on to Amazon after our conversation and buying it. But I mean, our listeners, what, what can they expect in the book? Yeah, what does the book sure. Contain? So I talk about the four pillars of life, which is health, wealth, relationship, and spirituality. Wealth does not necessarily mean money. Wealth means an amplitude of, of supply of something that we desire. If we don't focus on our health, then our wealth, which is our security, as according to Maslow's law of hierarchy, where security is the second thing we need, if we don't look for that, then everything else in our life will crumble. Every, every house has four walls. Every car has four tires. Every chair has four legs. Four pillars of life create our sense of stability and happiness. I help you reach mastery in each level through taking you through each step of why each pillar is necessary, how to tackle it, so when I talk about health, I talk about mental health. I talk about depression and anxiety and how to really overcome it. One of the main concepts is that we have to submit to the idea that there's, that there's something wrong with us, not giving up, but realizing I need help. And that's come from submission, which comes actually from growth of realizing here's where I am. In order for me to get there, I need to first acknowledge where I'm at at the moment then we can take the necessary steps. So the book talks about really taking you through the whole journey. So I put 12, 12 years of all my experience into this. It took me two years to write and one year to edit. So it took a while to get things rolling up. And, and about that book is really taking you through a 30 day journey into helping you reach your ultimate self, a mastery level of your inner peace and inner freedom. And that's what we're looking for. No longer living a life of normalcy, but rather exceeding to a life of comfortability and prosperity, whatever that means for you. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, like if you haven't already, um, just a little note to our listeners, go and buy the book and um, I'll check it out as well after <laughs> this podcast. Um, and so thank you for joining us, Jay. It's been an honour having you. It's been a really interesting episode. Um, and thank you, Mark, for helping co-host you again. Um, and thank you to our listeners for tuning in and we'll be back with you on Sunday with our last episode of season two. Thank you, everyone. Thanks, Jay. Thanks, Mark. If you or anyone you know has been affected by the topics discussed in today's episode or previous episodes, please contact your local or country's helpline. You'll find them by going to Google and typing in helpline. Um, They have Samaritan's suicide helpline, but Remember that you're not alone, as the title of the podcast says. Um, there are many other people like you that have got mental health issues and feel suicidal and feel alone, but there's always someone there for you to talk to, be it a friend, a family member, a stranger, a psychotherapist or a doctor. There's someone to talk to. I've been in that position before. And talking to someone really does help. It's okay to not be okay. And I will see you in the next episode.